Welcome to Pro Football Ireland, folks. Mike from McQuaid, Michaela Fagan. And can I just say now, on behalf of, uh, I think, every NFL fan in Ireland uh, watching this or listening to this, it's an honour to chat to our guest today, who was not only a head coach in college football, working in many different roles, but the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles for seven seasons, the St. Louis Rams for three, the Kansas City Chiefs for five, Super Bowl champion, Pro Football Hall of Famer, legendary NFL coach, Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil, coach Vermeil, Falcha, welcome. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right for an old man, thank you. How about you guys? <laughs> uh, doing good, coach. And do you know what? It's funny. I was saying to you off camera. I was I was obviously there when you were talking to our, to our friend Jeff Reinbold last year. It's it's good yeah. to see you looking so well. And that was a great conversation that day. And we, we've we've already been talking off camera about this, but we ask a lot of guests this from the states. Um, have you any heritage to Ireland? Uh, have you been to Ireland before? I've been to Ireland, spent a week there, bed and breakfasting. My wife and another couple and I, the four of us, we sailed over from England uh, on the ferry boat, got off the boat in Dublin, turned left and went all the way around the island and came out of Belfast and went from there to Scotland. It was an absolutely spectacular, wonderful experience. We kicked, we kissed the Blarney Stone. We, it was, my wife is Irish, okay? I'm French Italian. So uh, anyway, it was just a, 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 just a wonderful experience. Coach, now, many people may know that you transitioned from UCLA to the Philadelphia Eagles in 1976 after winning the Rose Bowl. And I believe you you bet Ohio State, which was a big upset at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to us about the transition from college football into the NFL and how did you find it in the first couple of seasons? Well, I had one advantage. I had been an assistant coach in the NFL prior to being the head coach at UCLA. So I had been there uh, an assistant for four years at the Los Angeles Rams, uh, once with George Allen, Tommy Prothrow, and then Chuck Knox. Then I go to UCLA. So that pre-pro football coaching experience in leadership positions, it helped me. It really did. Um, but there is a a, a huge difference, really. Uh, you've got to be yourself regardless of what level you're coaching. I was so young and naive at that time. Uh, I think uh, I probably made a lot of mistakes, but overall, uh, I didn't find it a dramatic difference. Absolutely. And, you know, there's been so many different things during your career. You make your first appearance in the Super Bowl as a head coach, uh, Super Bowl 15, losing to the Oakland Raiders. Uh, and then when you get to 1983, coach, uh, you retire for the first time and you, you were burnt out. Um, I guess we've all felt like gotten their job sometimes. At that point, did you think that you would come back into the league again or was in your mind, was that you done at that point? Well, you know, I had been offered opportunities well in broadcasting many times, a couple outstanding opportunities. The Los Angeles Rams had visited with me while I was out those 14 years a few times about coming back when the job was open, and I I just didn't think I was ready. The last time they asked me, I felt, well, at my age, 
uh, if I don't go back now, I'll be too old and no one is going to offer me an opportunity. So I went back and it was a good decision, a tough decision. It was a tough transition. That first year back was after being out of it 14 years. Yes, in broadcasting, you're around football, but you're not in the demands of coaching it in the leadership position, the highs, the lows, the decision making. You're more or less the expert in, in the press box for uh, three hours every weekend, you know, so totally different. That first year back was tough, but once I made the adjustment and had a great staff around me, a lot of experienced people, we started really making progress. Now your first two seasons at the Eagles and the Rams, they were both losing seasons. Um, how did you keep hope and belief in those teams, especially if others at the time may have lost faith? Well, you know, if they trust you at first while, you know, they, nothing really good happens until you are trusted and respected by the people you work with, the people you coach, the people in the organization. And it takes a while to establish it. And if you don't establish it, you're not going to be successful. But once they buy in and believe and see that you're you're authentic, you're honest, you're telling the truth, and you're optimistic, and you handle the negatives, the losses properly. And, you know, we never wanted to allow losing to define who we are. It's just a step in what we're going to become somewhere down the road. And we're taking those steps and they're tough ones. And we worked extremely hard, a lot tougher to do today. In the old days, there were no time limits on practice, no uh, uh, limits on how much times you could wear shoulder pads and have contact and how many double days you can have in training camps and all this kind of stuff. So you could work harder and longer and more physical. You also didn't have the advantage of free agencies. So you, you had to develop your players rather than running for a year and having go someplace else like they do nowadays with the salary cap and all that. So in one way, it was easier because you work them harder and longer. Another way, it was not as easy because you just couldn't go out and bring guys in off other teams like they do today. But uh, we just remained positive. In the tough times, and you know, you know, if you can't handle tough times in the NFL, you don't belong in there because nobody is immune to them. Nobody is immune to them. And uh, I think the tough times you go through, uh, sometimes you eliminate people, but the people that hang with you, by the time you become a good team, they are more closely together and united and molded into a team than the teams that are successful early and or don't experience the negative experiences that don't test their ability to handle adversity and the consistent losing. When we went back to the Rams, my first year, I know you've researched this. We lost eight in a row one time. That's hard to do. You got to try to lose eight in a row, but we did it. But two years after that, we won a world championship. So our approach was solid, but I surrounded myself with a lot of people that hadn't been out of coaching. A lot of people that I knew that I'd worked with before people that had a lot of years, many years of experience in the league and the ownership allowed me and my staff to make all the critical football decisions in terms of personnel and these kinds of things. So we were able to rebuild it. And, you know, uh, there were only nine players, on the roster that went to the Super Bowl and won it that were under contract 
when we took over the team in 97. So my staff did a great job. My personnel department did a great job. And Charlie Army was my personnel director. John Becker, personnel, did a great job. My coaching staff, Mike Martz, Al Saunders, Jim Hannafin, you know, the good Irishman, Jim Hannafin, uh, really, really did an outstanding job uh, to get it done in three years. I think Michael would agree that that's an amazing insight into the mentality Absolutely. you would need for to run an NFL team. And not only all the names you just listed there, it's not just about yourself as the head coach. It oh. takes everybody to make a successful team. As I'm sitting here this morning, I'm upgrading a speech I give in the business world. And I'm talking about just what we are talking about. You know, when you write it down and put it down and edit it and all that, it, it makes you really think. But, you know, all business organizations, nobody is immune to tough times. And how you handle those tough times is determined uh, how long it's going to take you to be successful. And if you don't handle them very well, you know, almost 30% of the coaches that take over an NFL team are fired after one year. Okay. That's 523 people have carried the title head coach. 29.8% have been fired after one season. So you know what I'm talking about. You better handle the adversity properly. I also learned that I learned this from John Ralston. He was really good at it when I coached for him at Stanford to really develop relationships within the entire program. Like in, in university at Stan, University of Stanford, the president, the admissions director, everybody uh, develop relationships with those people so they understand what you're doing and can better help and contribute to what it's going to take to turn the program around. And I did that. You know, I, I brag about it sometimes. I've coached three teams and I've never been fired. I'm the only coach in the NFL that's coached three teams and never been fired. Okay. One reason because of that concept, developing relationships with the people above you and around you. It makes a, it makes it a lot more cohesive working organization and gives you a much better chance to be successful. One of the most famous players, I'm sure everybody's heard of him, Kurt Warner. Yeah. You coach Kurt. And when he was first introduced at the Rams in the 1990, in the 1999 season, he was coming in for the starting quarterback, quarterback Green, who went out yeah. with an injury. Um, that season went on to be known famously as the greatest, the greatest show on turf, but at the time when when your starting quarterback went down, what were your realistic expectations for Kurt Warner and how far did you think the Rams could go with him at quarterback? I had prior to his injury told the president, John Shaw, that I really felt this was a playoff football team. <clears throat> he said to me, coach, don't tell me that. Too many coaches have told me that over the years and they're not here right now. But I said, I really believe it. This is a good football team, a really a good one. I didn't know they were going to be end up being a world championship team. When we lost Trent Green, who had been performing very well in the preseason, we lost him and we go with Kurt Warner. My thought was we would still play good football. And I thought we still would have a chance of being a playoff team. No way could I tell you that Kurt Warner could play like he could play. You know, you just, uh, 
he went way beyond expectations. Okay. I knew he could play. I thought he could play well. We had a great surrounding team around him and a good defense and a fine coaching staff and offense led by Mike Morris, the defense led by uh, uh, John Bunting and, and these kind of guys, my special teams coach, Frank Gann Sr., all, all great, great coaches. And uh, so I, I knew we would be sound, but never could have I anticipated Kurt playing like he did. Okay. I had a hunch. I had a hunch he could play well. I, my hunch went, went way beyond my expectation. You know, the first five starts of his career in the NFL had never been duplicated and would never be duplicated. What he did in those first five games, performing like, what was it, 27 touchdowns, three interceptions, something. I mean, it was, I'm on, I, I don't even remember. So, uh, so great but uh i knew he could play i didn't know he could play that well you know you could relate it to the second world war and medal of honor winners there's guys that won medal of honor uh, in heroic battles and what they did the military leaders could not predict that individual would do that but when he got in battle, <laughs> he got it done. And Kurt Warner was like that. When he got in battle, he became better than he was at any other time. The thing that I really found funny, Coach, was I, I had the chance to meet Kirk, uh, Kurt in Munich before the game in Germany last season. The guy looks like he could probably step on the field right now. He's still in very good condition after all these oh, years. Yeah. Yeah, I stay in touch. In fact, he and his son who goes to Temple here in Philadelphia, and he and I are having lunch next Wednesday, May 31st, okay, <laughs> together. I went over <laughs> and watched E.J. Warner uh, in spring practice. You know, he started every game for Temple University this year, Division One football as a true freshman. And the last game of the season, he threw for over 500 yards. Now, he's not as big as his dad in Kurt. <clears throat> if he was, he'd probably end up being like his dad. He's going to have a hard time in the NFL being a 5'10 guy. They always talk about those little guys. But, uh, yeah, he passed on good genes in EJ, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> it's – um I have to say, I think the previous point to the previous question that you said to Michaela about in regards to longevity and, and, and trust and the fact that you were in three different teams and you weren't fired. I think for a lot of people, maybe coach in Ireland or the UK or Europe listening to this, where they do watch soccer in different leagues and different teams, you see a lot of the times where those coaches just don't get that time. They're not trusted. And that's something even nowadays, I think, if you look at the modern league coach, do you have that opinion? Maybe not of the NFL, but if you look at a guy like Coach Tomlin in Pittsburgh who is has been given that time, he's he, he's earned that in that organization, do you think teams could get better at that? Or do you think the NFL stands out over many other leagues and sports? Well, I, th I think many organizations fire a coach prematurely. First off, I took over three teams. All three of them were losing. Okay. My first two years, we won 35% of our games. Third year, we won 73% of our games. Okay. It takes time. And some ownerships, management staffs are impatient 
If you recognize a team that's having consistent problems and firing coaches one after another, normally it's ownership management problems, not coaching problems. You know, it still takes players to win games. And some organizations just struggle getting the quality players there, either uh, in the draft or in, in, the, in the Premier League where you buy them from other teams in other countries and put them on one team. Uh, uh, they just don't do as good a job as somebody else. In some situations, they don't spend as much money as some people do. Today, you know, money money talks. But overall, it, it, it's uh, I think it's a negative reflection on the leadership above the coach when coaches continually fail within the same organization. And just going back on what you said about Kurt Warner, I, I have to ask this coach because I, because I know Jeff didn't ask it on his. Um, Kurt obviously played in, in Europe and is one and of the guys. That, you know, That's why exactly. we signed <laughs> <laughs> Do you look at, you know, from, from when you left the Chiefs to now, that growth of the game. I mean, like we, like if it wasn't for the NFL, even going to the next level and bringing games, we probably wouldn't be having this chat right now. Like genuinely, um, I'd I'd love to know your thoughts just generally on the growth, but also as a head coach or a former head coach yourself, could you ever see you know a, a team, even if it's one in Europe, you know, just from a logistical standpoint, if you're a head coach on the East Coast, maybe playing four games at home and four, four games away, do you think that could ever happen? Uh, just, just sort of your thoughts on the growth on, on that. I kind of believe it's inevitable. I really do. I think it's eventually going to, that's what the league has done, right? The league has continually tried to improve its fan base, why they make more money more people involved, uh, more national markets, more television rights. Uh, I would not be surprised. I can't predict when, but I I will never be surprised if we end up in London or somewhere in Germany. Uh, You know, when the original NFL Europe started, I broadcast. I was in broadcasting. The very first year of it, Brent Musburger and I broadcast the games together and we were traveling to Europe every week. Yeah. The next year, Roger Twible and I took over the broadcasting. And there were a few NFL Europe teams in the United States along with the European teams. But uh, I really believe the NFL Europe was a very valuable contributor to the quality of the NFL football teams. And for one reason or another, probably expense, the ownership gave it up. But I think it, It was a mistake, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it come back. In a way, it's back now in XFL and USFL. Rather, they're playing in the States, not in Europe. But I remember having real good crowds in Germany. I remember broadcasting the championship game in London in the big stadium there, and it was sold out. You would think it was a premier uh, football game you know, Premier League soccer game. And now they play over there. Uh, teams go every every year and play in uh, London and in the great stadium. And uh, lo and behold, they're sold out, you know. So uh, there's no reason to believe it might happen sometime in the future. Um, so anyway. You touched on this a little bit earlier, Coach. Uh, you retired from coaching football from 1983 to 1960, uh, 1996. Uh, that's 15 years. So after such a long time out of the NFL, what made you come back to, to coach? 
Well, I was always disappointed in the way I left. I really loved the game. I allowed a passion to become an obsession, you know, and then the win wasn't as thrilling as it should be. And the loss was more killing as it should be. And it was just an imbalance in my whole profile as a person. Today, they probably have more psychological terms for it. Uh, I used the term burnout because I didn't know what else to say. My wife gave me the idea to say that, not me. Uh, but maybe, you know, it, I, don't, I don't know what it was. But anyway, I knew I better leave because I wasn't proud of the job I was doing. And uh, then I went into broadcasting and regrouped emotionally and physically and, and got going real well and really enjoyed it. And I always thought I would go back. I just didn't know when. And then I was out for such a long time. I decided, hey, I'll probably never go back, but I'll just keep broadcasting. And then I had the opportunities and I was a little insecure in the feeling. But when the Rams called, John Shaw called, I knew the organization had worked for him. Uh, I knew the owner in Georgia Frontier. Her husband was Rosenblum at that time. And uh, I just, like I said, if I don't go back now, I never will. So I took a high risk, a very high risk, and off I went. What did I have to lose? Really, nothing. They were going to pay me better than I'd ever been paid. You know, in the old days, they never paid football coaches in the NFL. I, I doubled my salary from 1982 coaching the Eagles to go into CBS working 16 weekends a year. So uh, anyway, uh, my passion, my emotional status, uh, my mindset was, uh, I think, uh, stable enough to say, yeah, I could do it. We've got two or three quick questions left, Coach, and obviously really appreciate your time. It's funny you're talking there about the different teams. Just realizing now, you know, fortunate enough to be in Phoenix in February and seeing two of your old teams going up against each other in the Eagles and Chiefs. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's funny how history yeah. can just repeat itself in that sense. Um, I guess I just, just outside of that victory with the Rams and the manner in which that happened, what was your most like memorable moment or memorable game of your career? if you had to choose one or do you not have one? Is it all just a huge, fantastic yeah, memory? Say, you know, every le- high school coaching, I can think of one in junior college coaching. I can think of one it, UCLA. I can think of one that might be my most, most, most. And that would be the UCLA victory over the Rose bowl. Number one team in the country over the Ohio state in the Rose bowl. They had beaten us badly, like 41, 23 or something in the regular season in a, a non-conference game. And then to upset the number one team in the country, uh, on national television at that time, the Rose bowl was the biggest bowl game in the world. Okay. And to win that, that way, that was, uh, uh, just an unbelievable feeling and a, a feeling of accomplishment. And, and uh, uh, it, it, and I've won some other big games we did, uh, but that, that one many times, because first off, uh, I was a young guy. I was running my own offense, coaching my own quarterbacks, calling my own plays. I was 100% involved and uh, in everything that went on the field, rather than the leader of the organization. I was coaching that football team and leading it. And uh, so that that win really jumps out at me. Uh, 1979 with the Rams. 78, we'd been in the playoffs for the first time with the Eagles in years. World champion Pittsburgh Steelers come to Philadelphia. 
uh, fifth game of the season. They are undefeated world champions from last year, and we beat them. And that was a huge win for us. Yes, we'd been in the playoffs for the first time the year before, but to beat the Pittsburgh Cedars in Pennsylvania, oh, my God, because part of the fans in that cr crowd then were Pittsburgh Steelers fans as well. So to win that game was a huge one. Then, of course, to go on the next year and beat Dallas for the first time in four years in our program on a Monday night game in November in Dallas was a huge win for us. It took four years to beat them. And then year, <laughs> then a year later to beat them in the NFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl. So those are all huge wins. With the Rams, uh, I don't know if there's any one specific game. Uh, geez, I don't, you know, our, our playoff games, of course, we're out, we beat Minnesota the opener, just blew them out of the stadium. I think we scored 40-something points, and they scored 30-something. Uh, then to beat Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, our defense won the football game. You know, and and then to go on and win the Super Bowl on the last play of the game, uh, hard to pinpoint one single game, but those games are huge memories. Okay, when when I land at the airport this week in San Francisco on Thursday, I'm going out there. I will look to my left before the airplane touches the ground, and there's a high school football field to my left. Burlingame High School Field. We won the championship there in 1960, Thanksgiving Day, 12 to 7. That was a huge game for me. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's a, a lot of it depends on where you are and what you were doing and what time in your life it was. I think it just shows everybody the emotion that's connected with football, the fact that you remember. Oh, all of those games, all of the scores, who won the game for you, what players, whether it was offense or defense. And um, touching on your Super Bowl win with the Rams, you then you went from the Rams and then you retired after a Super Bowl win and then you went back to coach Kansas City. So after walking away, you know, on top of the world, you done you achieved what people want to achieve in the NFL was it a hard decision to go back to a team that needed more work and you know we're having losing seasons was it a bit tougher well first off I knew the ownership the Hunt family I was broadcasting their preseason games because the president general manager of that team had worked for me at UCLA and the Philadelphia Eagles one of my closest closest friends in fact the person that introduced me into the Hall of Fame last year on television when I went in he was my presenter uh, and they talked to me about going back for, at the ring ceremony after winning the Super Bowl in spring, May, I'm handing out the Super Bowl rings to everybody, and I'm no longer connected with that team. And I said to myself, what did I do? <laughs> I helped build a world championship team, then I leave. I thought I left for all the good reasons, okay? Uh, but all of a sudden, I'm handing out those rings, and I say, my God, do I miss, <laughs> I miss these guys. <laughs> So when Carl Peterson, who, like I said, had been with me at UCLA and the Eagles, and he uh, he had offered me the job with the Chiefs in 89 when he became the president general manager, and I didn't go. I said, you know, I think I'll go back. 
Lamar Hunt was a wonderful man since passed away, the owner, maybe one of the finest individuals I ever met in my life. And I said, geez, what a great opportunity. And the five years I spent in Kansas City, my only regret in my career is I didn't do a good enough job to hand Lamar Hunt the Lamar Hunt trophy. That's why I'm so pleased that Andy Reid has done it. Because it's just too bad that Lamar Hunt himself was not there to accept it. But uh, because Lamar Hunt named the Super Bowl, okay, and the AFC Championship Trophy is named the Lamar Hunt Trophy. And I didn't do a good enough job uh, to present it to him myself is, uh, is a disappointment. You've made a really important point there, Coach. And this is the final question um, about obviously Lamar Hunt's not there to see something. You know, so many players, so many coaches don't have the opportunity or do not see themselves get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like we've had um, numerous different players on previously and we've had people from the hall talk about what it means. Um, I had the opportunity to watch your speech. I watched it back before this interview, but watched it last year. What did that whole experience, you know, just just mean for you? Was that the the icing on the cake of a incredible career? And and what, what was that weekend, Canton, Ohio, like for you? It was unbelievable. The Irish half of my family, I think, just walked in the room behind me. You said, "Carol mailed, yeah, Carol is is in Ireland, oh, in Dublin." Yeah. She says, "They're wonderful." <laughs> well, you know, it goes way beyond your own personal expectations. Never did I ever think I would end up in the Hall of Fame. Never. I'd had people tell me that I was going to or would. I, I just never believed it. I always held those coaches that were already in the Hall of Fame at a level way above what I ever thought I could achieve. Okay. So uh, it was uh, an accomplished way beyond my expectations. It's, it's overwhelming. You know, and I still, as I talk to you today, sort of have a hard time believing it. Just an hour or so before we went on the air here, I was in communication with the NFL Hall of Fame because my gold jacket seems in the back and it got all screwed up. I must have sat in a chair that had something rough on it and it, it made the back of my coat look like a waffle iron. So I've got to send it back in to get it repaired. But when I put on that gold jacket, it, there's an unbelievable uh feeling that goes through me to uh, makes me even more appreciative and grateful for all the people that uh, helped put that jacket on me. The coaches I coach with, the players that coached it. Yeah, look at you talked about the greatest show on turf. There's already four guys on offense off that team that are in the Hall of Fame. Okay, so I sure as hell didn't do it by myself and Tori Holt will be the next. So, uh, you know, it just it really makes me more today think about everything everybody else did to help put it on me because I sure as hell didn't do it by myself. Yeah. We're going to keep your wife in the podcast. So you can, you can tell her she's going to be heard in Ireland. I think, I think just, just to wrap up the podcast coach, and it's, it's an important point for, for anybody listening to this that grew up and watched the NFL when it first came on the TV in Ireland and the UK, but on Network 2, RTE, where they had one or two games a week, coached back in the 80s and, and the 90s. I I know for them, this interview or this conversation will, will, will mean an awful lot. And it certainly means an awful lot to us and, and just for the fans internationally. And that's that's the great thing about this technology. We can sit back, oh, yeah. we can sit back and listen to this in 20, 30 years' time and just appreciate the fact that we have the 
opportunity to talk to you for for half an hour and uh, coach we massively appreciate it if you do fly over here at some point give us a shout and uh, I hope it. you enjoy the off season before, I wouldn't uh, mind going back believe me the only tough cup over there is driving on some of those roads a little bit different <laughs> we had a great night we had a great and the, bre- the breakfasts you know at that time I don't know if they still do it all the bed and breakfasts competed for titles in who has the best yes. bed and breakfast and who wins the medals and all that. And uh, I tell you, yeah, we had a, just a wonderful time. Well, you're welcome here anytime, Coach. And uh, as we say in Ireland, Gurmil me Magat. Thank you so so much. Uh, all right, we'll chat to you. Take care. Thanks so much. All right, thank you both.